0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier Early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Oh, we're not rolling? Are we rolling? We we are rolling. Yes. Okay. Good. We're rolling. All right. I'm John Mulaney. (laughs) Just so there's some (laughs) So people can tell our voices apart. Thank you. Um, So we've uh, done a lot of amazing podcasts, but uh, this guy is among our most delightful guests. John Mulaney is a comedian. Uh, You may have seen him in some of his specials that have been on uh, Comedy Central He wrote for Saturday Night Live. He had a short-lived sitcom on Fox, which was canceled, uh, which caused him a lot of emotional tumult. And it was during that period that he turned to meditation. So we're going to talk about that. And as you'll hear, he's really raw and really honest about that period in his life. Uh, He has bounced back really well, though, uh, with uh, more stand-up around the country and specials. And he now has a hit show on Broadway, a two-man show that he co-wrote and uh, co-stars in with his fellow comedian and old friend Nick Kroll. It's called Oh, Hello, I've Seen It, It's Amazing. Uh, And it's going to be running on Broadway at the Lyceum Theater through January. Full disclosure, as sometimes happens on this show, uh, John is, uh, as is the case with some other guests, Uh, A personal friend of mine, so don't expect a lot of journalistic objectivity, but do expect a really interesting and very funny conversation. So here he is, John Mulaney. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. When did you start meditating? How? Why?
1: I started meditating um, after I read, this is such a plug, after I read your book, 10% Happier by Dan Harris, who is you. I knew the answer to that. I was in Ojai. I got your book.
0: I had. Is it weird to get a book by like a dude you actually you know know? I wouldn't want to actually read a, uh, my friend's book. I I find it kind of annoying. You
1: had an interesting. You had an interesting life with many pockets of which I had not ever spoken. Yeah, to you about. that's that's I guess true. I never yeah. knew how much you did uh, as a war correspondent, as a foreign correspondent. I never knew about any of that. But, th- I mean. I remember trying to cram everything I wanted to say about the book into either a tweet or some
0: No, you sent me a very long email.
1: Well, that there was that. But then I was either No, I think I had to like do a the Wall Street Journal was like, what are your favorite books of the year? And I had like one sentence to sum up 10% happier. And I was trying to say like you could approach this as a news junkie or as someone who likes the memoir of a foreign correspondent or whatever. Like there's so many ways in. And I came at it just from knowing you personally. Which is good,
0: but but I was just going to say, like I go to your stuff, but you're actually performing and making me laugh. You know, if I go see your do you doing stand up, or you on a TV show, or you on a talk show, or your current Broadway show, it's not like I have to sit there listening to you tell me about like every corner of your personal life. That so that right? But I'm I'm, not interested in people making me laugh. Yeah, because you're bored of it because that's what you do all day long. But that's a particular disease. Kind.
1: That's a particular disease. Many comedians. Comedians watch so many documentaries. Uh, there must be. It's it's a true like. We want sad realism. So anyway, no, you're you. Are, it, it was the exact kind of candid memoir that uh, of also an interesting life. There's lots of candid memoirs of uninteresting lives.
0: Yes, th- yeah. that is true. Anyway, thank you for saying that. So you you're in Ohio and you read the book we don't really need to talk about the book, but I'm more interested in what was going on in your life that that the idea of meditation was not uh, repellent to you and then how soon you acted on it.
1: Um, so I was, I did this show for Fox that uh, did not go well uh, in the end. I mean, it was a long, long journey, and the end result was that it didn't work out that well. The this Mulaney is a show, show called Milani, which is my yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we had, <laughs> which I don't recommend. So we had six- The show or the name? Um, Oh well, I have always wondered if I should have taken a stage name because I sometimes I'm saying something and I'm like, "Your grandfather doesn't need to pay for this," <laughs> you know. These people came over from Ireland to escape a famine, right. and now you're on stage just selling everyone out. It's
0: terrible. Fair enough. Fair, Fair enough. enough.
1: And and would I would I be able to disassociate who I am from the uh, comedian that I am? And is that even a good idea? I don't know but I've, I've thought about that sometimes. You talk to Sting about it, or
0: people who like have stage Sting's real names? name? I have no idea.
2: Yeah,
1: good. See, because no, you can go, I hate Sting, and, his, and he can secretly think, well, that's cool because I'm not Sting. Yeah,
0: or, or <laughs> I hate him too, he might think. <laughs> he might think I yeah. also dislike Sting. Bono, Sting, I mean, a lot of people have these names. I think Bono they, likes himself, but yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I wasn't referring to his, self, uh, his self-esteem. I was more referring to the fact that he can separate in the way that you're rhapsodizing about now.
1: Yeah, but sometimes when I when people are like John Mulaney sucks, I'm like, well, that's not fair to like that 11 year old kid that was John Mulaney because he didn't do all these things. Yeah.
0: Right, he might have um, sucked though in his own special way.
1: Oh yeah, he sucked hard, but <laughs> but, uh, but like, what a sensitive. Li- I mean, if he read that in print at age 11, yeah. he
0: would have been very upset. People say John Mulaney sucks. Like you, a- you've actually seen. Oh sure, that sure, in sure. Print? Of course, of course, of course. Really? Of course. You're so likable.
1: Thanks. That thanks. It's a good. Um, I'm glad appreciate it um i get a lot of n- very nice compliments and nice feedback i've been very lucky i've been had many many pats on the back
0: yeah no cuz i've been in large rooms of people like freaking out about over you, uh, where people. What are these rooms? Carnegie Hall.
1: Oh, that stuff. I was yeah. picturing
0: boardrooms. <laughs> no, not boardrooms. <laughs> like picturing. I, I went doors. to see you at Carnegie Hall, uh, and uh, I've. I was just in Schubert Theater on Broadway the other what the other day. The Lyceum Theater. The Lyceum. Oh, sorry, it's, Schubert, it's Schubert on the Schubert. What's Schubertown Theater? It's a beautiful place, by the way. Beautiful and everybody theater. loves you. So uh, who's calling you? Who says you suck?
1: Oh well, just I mean, in I've gotten I've gotten great reviews. I've gotten yeah. bad reviews. Yeah. I've gotten. Mean tweets, I've gotten tons of nice tweets None of this is complaining, I'm just saying We were specifically talking about The stage name stuff Yes. And I always wondered like I have to be, when I'm like at the doctor Sick, I'm like, the the name's Mulaney John, so I'm sort of like Should that name be separate from the name That you can say sucks
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's too late now either way Well, I
1: I was like, I'm Johnny Starr now. (laughs) With two R's. (laughs) That would, yeah, of course, with two R's. That would uh, probably not go over well. In fact, other people have tried it and it
0: doesn't work. Who's tried it mid career? Garth Brooks. He tried it mid career? Remember? He had a whole separate persona. Boy. Garth Brooks did a whole side oh, come thing. Come
1: on, Dan, you don't know about this. No. He had a small soul pack. People are nodding in the room with us. They know about it. Um, if anyone knows, I, I'm not opposed. But uh, it there, was like, there are two uh, nice gentlemen was like in the room Chris, with us. Chris
0: Gaines. Chris Gaines. Nice, Thank you. nice. <laughs> well, Someone who's been dying well, to well, say one it. One of our photojournalists in the room knew the yeah. answer. So Okay, so but clearly it didn't go well. I, I haven't heard of it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, was,
1: it was not well-received, uh, putting on a wig and a soul patch and saying you have a different name. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't go well after years of being famous as Garth Brooks. Okay, anyway, so when I read your book, I was working on this Fox show. We, had, we did six episodes, then we had almost three months of not shooting while we waited to hear if we'd make more episodes. And then we made seven more episodes. So in between those two, I was reading the book. And I was probably at peak stress, peak but peak ambition, and uh, on some level, just not not at all liking the balance I had, mm. you know, and and kind of feeling like feeling like I was on like Mars. I was like living on Mars, and I wasn't comfortable there. Yeah, I think some people are comfortable on Mars. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Oh, because he was, lived on Mars yeah, in the movie. Sorry, right. Thanks for getting I, the joke a little bit late. I thought you were like, oh, that guy's a space good <laughs> I don't know. But Matt he did. literally was in the movie. He was uncomfortable on Mars. He, he was. He, wanted he to was.
0: Live. You're right. There were a few triumphant scenes, like when he was growing potatoes and stuff like that. Yeah, I know. But what
1: happened to that potato farm, I don't think we'll ever get over. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I was like, this is weird air to live in. Yep. And I don't know if I like it that much. And I was... But I had the feeling that I could not be introspective or I would lose momentum, which I think was a good—because there are many things in your book, but I think the idea of, like, you can live in an urban environment and hustle and work hard, or you can be in an ashram, like, staring at the wall. False dichotomy. Yeah. So that was— that was just the start of it, I guess. There's many things I I don't want to reduce the book to just one thing or my reaction to it to just one thing or what meditating's done to just one thing. But that that was definitely a, a jumping off point.
0: And so, uh you're in Ohio, you actually start meditating there?
1: Yes, did the uh did exactly what you did. Tried it for a few minutes and hated it. And then I went to Chicago right after it and my parents have like we still have like there's, it was just a big house because there were a lot of kids, and so there's a lot of empty rooms. There's a lot of good places to yeah. try meditating because yeah. it's like a, when my parents are at work, it's just an empty house. And I was I tried it more and more uh, while I was there for that week, which was when I emailed you. I think I started doing it for about just out of just out of ambition. <laughs> I started trying it for 15 minutes. That's pretty good. Yeah, it was for going from three minutes to 15 was yeah, pretty good. Big jump. And I think I had maybe four or five days of doing it. And in the middle of that, I got some email uh, regarding an edit of an episode that normally would sort of spike my anger levels out of control. And I remember reading it, and I was able to kind of process it. And I was also able to separate the good experience of shooting the episode from the difficult experience of what was going to get edited down in the episode and go that that does not – I just remember thinking like – that does not change the fact that you had a good time making this, which is, which is again, not in your book,
0: but... <laughs> no, but that that's a great example of the rubber hitting the road pretty quickly. I mean, you'd done yeah. just a little bit of meditation, and here you are faced with an unpleasant data point, and instead of just letting it yank you around, you yeah. actually, there was a, a moment of reflection.
1: There was a moment of reflection, and I was having um, anger for the first time like uh out loud while working on the TV show previously yeah before like, that I'd lost my on the temper set. not on the set I'd over the phone wow i actually have a hard time picturing that yeah and so do i and it was weird and it felt like out of body and it felt like uncontrollable
0: well just by way of context so your yeah. career leading up to that and I'll, I'll i'll make some statements you correct me where i've gone wrong but Absolutely. you were largely yeah a writer and a stand-up comedian so yep. you were doing a ton of traveling as a stand-up comedian but you are also a, 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 one of the senior writers on, on Saturday Night Live and this was a huge development for you Fox came and said we're going to give you a show you called it Mulaney it had
1: been at NBC and it was a pilot there and then they passed right. on it and we right. took it to Fox so right. that was kind of its own coup as well I'm right because that just, rarely happens I'm just building up the amount of confidence I have yeah
0: <laughs> Because that, that does rarely happen, because usually really if, if a network happen. passes, and again, I'm not an expert in this stuff, but if a network passes on a sitcom or no, Damaged a, goods. Yeah. Yes. So you were able to bring it to Fox. Mm-hmm. This was a very heady time, and I don't blame you for getting... Uh, I can only imagine how stressful it is. It's your first show. It's got your name on it. Um, right. And uh, that pressure can make you snappy.
1: Yeah. Uh, pressure plus no context for anything, you know. Like, am I I supposed to walk around going, am I supposed to ever say the words, excuse me, but my name is on the show? (laughs) Or do only monsters say that? (laughs) Uh, Or do you sometimes have to have an ego? Or should you never have an ego? Right. Is someone going to write a tell-all about how I was the worst boss ever running a show? Or was I the best boss ever running a show? Yeah, at what point do you put your foot down? At what point do you get angry? No one was... Quite, maybe I wasn't. I was also not asking for that advice, but also I, I didn't feel like I had a, a grid for that.
0: I wouldn't even know where to start.
1: And so I just blew up on a phone call, and it was like not. It didn't help. It was not good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Rarely does it
1: really didn't help, and I just felt bad. And I, mm-hmm. I, I also then apologized for it, which I felt, you know, in retrospect, it was like, well, in apologizing, I tried to concede what. I'd fought for on the call. It was just, it was just a mess. But I have a visceral memory of being on the phone and feeling like I have never yelled this much before in my life. Wow. Yeah. So, or I've never yelled in this way, the way someone does in a movie. Right. Where you're just like, no, 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 let me get this straight. So you, no, 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 hold on a second, because you just said this, but then last week you said this. So were you lying then or are you lying now? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> no, I, no, I just, explain it to me. Explain it to me.
0: That kind of thing. Um, I'm my heart rate is rising. I'm, I'm, yeah,
1: yeah I'm stressed out just thinking about it. <laughs>
0: so anyway, am not just thinking about it. Just for the, i right <laughs> right. You're actually reenacting it.
1: I'm reenacting it <laughs> and enjoying it, and I'm afraid of it. So,
0: so okay, so you, you, you. Uh, this is the, um, this is good emotional context here. So then you, yeah. you start meditating, and then here was this email that might have enraged you. Where, and then all of a sudden, actually. It was obviously not awesome, but your reaction was less heated than it otherwise would have been. It
1: wasn't just blanket seeing red. And also, I do have a tendency to go, I got mad about that email, ergo the whole experience. It I I can taint an experience with, like, what a great party, but at the very end, someone said something to me that pissed me off, so it was a bad party.
0: Right. And so did you keep meditating from there? I did. Tried to and didn't.
1: I didn't. We went back into production. Very common, by the way. Yeah. Um, That people fall off. I tried to, but didn't. We went back into production. I made a lot of promises to myself about doing it and then totally didn't do it. And when and why did you start back up? Okay. So the show was very poorly received by all humans and canceled. So then, uh, not by all humans. Okay, but it's not the margin of people. It didn't even win the popular vote. <laughs> it was fully. It was canceled. Lost the popular vote and the EC, and the amount of people that voted for it was. It was the Gary Johnson of TV shows.
0: Okay, okay. So y- it was y- you. So felt- sure,
1: some people voted for it, but uh, I'm not being. I'm not like self-flagellating saying that. I think it's a healthy thing to look at it and go, "That did not work by most all metrics."
0: You feel the show didn't work or it was just poorly received? Well, that's a whole other question. Yeah. You
1: know, which I can't say I've, I know the answer to or have fully unpacked, you know, because when you have something that you did so many jobs on and we're so front and center on, and then people dislike it, you want to learn lessons from it and you want to move on. Yeah. Right. And you want to move on too fast. That's the first move is like, well, let's just do something else. But you can't do that. And I I sort of hit a wall. I went on tour. It was canceled. And I went on the road four days later (laughs) thinking, like, I'm just going to leave this behind me and go back to being a stand-up.
0: And I've totally processed this experience. (laughs) Well, I mean, we were talking a little bit during that time, and you were definitely working on processing it. I mean, you were definitely willing to talk about it. And work it through.
1: I, I hit a wall fast realizing I couldn't outrun it. Yes. I had to
0: go through it rather than, you know, around it. And so in that period, did you? is that when you started meditating again?
1: Yes. In Sacramento, I think. Which is the first city I went on to. Oh, sorry. That was the first city I went okay, on to. Okay. I was going
0: to say that. It was high Oh, hi, I understand.
1: I always, I, I always drive to Sacramento <laughs> to <Let's> begin my <laughs> spiritual quests. It is the capital after all. No, I was doing shows in Sacramento and- every bit of anxiety i'd ever had just came like crashing down i was just sitting in the hotel being like
0: oh man i'm done and was your wife with you no oh that's unfortunate oh yeah it was it was bad just so everybody knows uh, your wife Anna Marie Anna, I, I, I didn't know whether it was okay to say that. I guess she's she's a public figure a public in her fi- own right. She's written, uh, she wrote a, a very cool book called The Daily The Face, Daily Face. She's about her makeup expertise. She does the makeup for Oh Hello, which is yeah, she does the, the special
1: show. effects makeup and is our wig supervisor
0: for Oh Hello. She makes beautiful, beautiful Victorian lampshades. She does as well. if you you can follow her on Instagram and you can see those lampshades. And she's also just this I can say with real authority. A wonderful human being She's a wonderful human being She's and the she's reason I know real, you And she's real Yes, she is the reason yeah. Why we know each other And she also is a real This I also can say with confidence A big source of strength And comfort for you personally And that's yes. why I asked Whether she was in the room With you in Sacramento Because she really should have been No, no she, I'm not blaming her I'm saying it would have helped
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah It would have helped It would have helped So, oh, also In the period where I started Meditating that break Between episodes I got married So it wasn't like we got Anna and I got married. I didn't just get married solo. It wasn't like a, a it wasn't a time with no activity. Going right, right, right. Planning right.
0: the wedding. Yes. Although let's just be honest, she did do all of the work. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Sorry, did I say we were planning the wedding? <laughs> I was occasionally checking in as my wife planned a perfect wedding. So I started meditating. The biggest thing that got me back into it was I was having a, like a lot of episodes of panic, which is uh, which you can. Totally relate to it. Yeah, but yeah. I
0: didn't know that. That you, I knew you were feeling anxious and depressed, but I didn't know you were actually. It was actually, pa- yeah, oh, was it on stage panic or just occasionally. Up? Wow, it,
1: it was. You know, it was like it wasn't always the complete shortness of breath. I don't enjoy physically feeling this way. It, it um, it got to that point a couple times, and it still, you know, I've still had to breathe my way down over the years from some kind of just flood of adrenaline or anxiety like that it was more like I would feel very anxious all day before a show and it was kind of and this is something you've been doing for forever oh, that was the other thing is I'd done it for at that point eight or eight years and it was like my favorite thing in the world to do so walking around being like does everyone hate me? Yeah. Have I totally ruined my life? Have mm-hmm. I totally ruined my career? Is there mm-hmm. any coming back from this? There's probably no coming back from this. This is one of those things there's no coming back from. Having all those thoughts alone in a hotel room in Sacramento is just, it's so uncomfortable. It's so physically uncomfortable for me, anxiety, that it kind of ruined ruined the whole experience leading up to a show. Um, and then on stage sometimes I would be... St- standing there thinking like well it was actually a lot more before sometimes i would i would have tightness on stage but it was kind of residual mm. it was just this like ball of anxiety all day and so how did, did meditation
0: help with any of that
1: yeah uh, completely cuz it was like it didn't always help in the moment and it didn't always help that day but i was very committed starting around december of that year to doing it every day. And I think the cumulative effect of that was very, very good. Yeah. But, it, but I really did, I've had days where I'd meditate for 20 minutes at the hotel, then I get backstage and I meditate for like seven minutes just to kind of ground my, just to be like, also like now I'm in this theater, now I'm in this space, this is gonna be great, there's a ton of people out there. You know, but be, just somehow to do it in the space I was about to perform and helped. But I'd still be on this like, you know, I'd stop that meditation. It was my second of the day. I'd put my shoes back on and I'd be like, Whew, I'm still flooded with all these mm-hmm. thoughts. But it it definitely became a cumulative
0: thing. That totally jives with my experience of the thing. It doesn't, you know, fix your problems. All it does is just equip you to better handle them. Oh, it's in the beginning. It fixed my problems.
1: I I should say Um, the anger, and then the first few times I meditated after that, it was almost like, oh, I've calmed down. Gotcha. All the cobwebs are gone. Interesting. Life is but that didn't last at all. (laughs) And the the actual effect of it became long term. It became like a long term. Drug as opposed to a short term. Yes,
0: yes. What I was going to say, you know, in fact, one of the things that can get in the way of it working is you expecting it to do a certain thing, Um, because expectation is a hindrance. It meaning like that's right from the Buddhist scriptures. Desire for for something to feel different through meditation will get in the way of whatever is supposed to happen. All that's supposed to happen, really, is that you're supposed to see clearly whatever's happening already. And that the, that actually is magic because once you see, oh, yeah, like I'm feeling all these things or I'm thinking all these things and it's manifesting this way in my body, that actually is enough distance so that you aren't yanked around by it anymore. Yeah. That's the magic. Um, so going in expecting, look, I want to come out of this blissed out and zen down is, in my view and in my experience, um, like a recipe for... Disappointment.
1: Totally. I think I, w- I, f- I first went back to it um, thinking it was going to be like when you sob as a child. You know when you sobbed yeah, as a little sure, kid and sure. then after you
0: felt great? Yeah, well, I never did that, but I, I hear you.
1: <laughs> you know when you sobbed as a teen uh, publicly? No, it was like, you know, like very cathartic, like, wow. Mm-hmm. Because I wouldn't, you know, it was one of those things where like, I, I wouldn't have been breathing all day. It was the first time I'd even taken a deep breath. So it was very, like, blissed-out feeling, right? And then I had to get... But then it's like it didn't end in Sacramento. I had to go to Denver. I had to go to Chicago. Yeah, it just yeah. kept going. And, like, the feelings didn't go away. And I wasn't uh, done processing that I had this big professional failure. So it was like... It, it just kept happening, and I kept meditating. And there were many weeks that it was like,
0: this is uh, pointless. So did you quit? What did, What was the move?
1: No. I was, uh, it was physically, un- I guess it was physically uncomfortable, the anxiety, enough that I would always be happy to exercise or sit down and meditate. Gotcha. But it was a really like, I I was very focused and I was on this tour and it was a really like monastic existence. It was kind of perfect for it, but it's also set it up. It it was not a clear test run for meditating in life.
0: This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com/happier today to get 10% off your first month. That's slash happier You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Can I say a few things about my um, view of you during this period? Maybe may embarrassing. Yes. Because I'm going to say nice things, but but um, like I think you can tell a lot about somebody by how they handle adversity. And I thought you handled it just from my vantage point. We only had a few conversations about it on email and in person, like incredibly well. Um, oh, well, thanks. Bad things happen to all of us, or uh, and sometimes we. Let it make us into monsters, and you did the exact opposite and I mean, there were a few things that stand out in my mind. one, just s- talking to you about it and you were so like forthright and just clearly like holding the thing up and looking at it from every different angle. Um, but then the moment on Kimmel, which I'm not gonna be able to recreate because I know you know what you <laughs> oh, said, yeah, where yeah, yeah. he asked you how the show went what what was your line again?
1: Um, I think I said. Well, none of the critics liked it, but fortunately, the audience
0: didn't like it either. Yeah, something. Fortunately, like we that. had low ratings. Yeah, yeah but something along those it. lines. It was very, very funny. Uh-huh. And then you, you, your bounce back, in my view, was like really triumphant because you then, not long thereafter, went and performed at Carnegie Hall, and yeah. it was amazing. Like, oh, thanks. that was incredible. Uh, and I remember mean, your first line when you walked out on stage was, "Well, back to stand up." Uh, oh, really? And, and, <laughs> yeah, that's and, right. And it right. was great. And people loved it. It was sold out, and it was really amazing. fun.
1: That was the other thing. Okay, so, so now you
0: could have put. Oh, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you could have put your head in the sand. You could have just let it make you into a total jerk or or a quitter, and you did neither of those things, and you worked through it, even though it was really hard. So, I think that's all really awesome. Is all well. I'm thanks. To say.
1: That's a huge credit to Anna, my wife, who without whom I don't know if I would have gone through it as much. I think I would have absolutely tried to go around it, or bury it, or but you can't you can't, <laughs> you can't be going through that and come home to someone with whom you're honest and talk to and not and and go yeah everything's going to be great i think uh, i think i'm going to repitch a new, you know you can't just i don't know we or at least i'm very grateful like we don't have that relationship at all there was no uh it was like coming home like having gotten my ass kicked there was no way to pretend it hadn't happened mm-hmm. um
0: And she didn't pretend it didn't
1: happen. No, not at all. And she also uh, was very protective, but was kind of like, this is survivable, you know? I remember I I said to her, like, I I, I don't know what this is or something. And she was like, oh, you were never made fun of as a kid. She's like, you've never been unpopular before. And I was like, oh. And she was like, yeah, a lot of people go through
0: this. (laughs) Usually in high school. uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty wise uh, thing to point out.
1: I mean, she was just like, this is not... I mean, she wasn't... Sorry. Implicitly, there was the underlying thing of like, John, you are playing Carnegie Hall. We're married and we're really happy and we're really lucky. You can't hit zero. You can hit five, but you can't hit zero, you know? So in terms of self-pity, I was not going to be able to have too much in a good way and uh and yet at the same time it, we weren't pretending it
0: wasn't happening sounds like the exact right mix and it sounds it was like a, it very well. mix. It was a very good well it was very good so d- did it get better how did it get better
1: it's just time yeah i mean i i still will have anxiety that I need, I need to like you know if i've been off meditating for a while i will hit you know i'll hit a day where i'm like so mad about something insignificant or significant, but it's, it's there, I'm a cumulative person. I'm very like polite and nice day to day and a lot of things get shelved away and then I get really mad. Um, my dog got sick. She's fine now. She's always (laughs) she's always just been a little sick and then bounces back and does great. But, um, she was sick at one point maybe a year after the TV show or something and I was uh, talking to someone and I was like, I don't understand why she's, that she has acid reflux and there's nobody. And I was going on and on and I was like, this whole city. And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How, does, how is Los Angeles to blame for this? And I was like, I don't know. I'm really mad about a lot of things. Um, and that,
0: that still happens. So uh, what's your meditation practice like now?
1: So I do 20 minutes a day. Uh, I try to do it at the theater, at the Lyceum Theater. So we've been doing the Oh Hello on Broadway show, which you saw. And one thing. And it's amazing. Thank you very much. And we were just talking off mic about when you're doing the same thing over and over again. Now we're in a, a show that is, we improvise a lot, but when you're saying the same lines and I felt this way with stand up too, when you're saying the same lines over and over again, your mind, as we were saying, has a tendency to wander. Yes, it does. And that's totally natural. But, but scary. But scary and, and and jarring and uh can be like slightly unnerving and you're also in front of an audience. So the, the the adrenaline and the stakes are high. So you're kind of playing with like a few different elements that can really throw you. So I have tried to do it um, closer to the show at the theater, we have there's lots of dressing rooms upstairs that we don't need because it's just a two man show. We're not like the cast of uh, a musical, so there's all these empty dressing rooms. And I they're pitch black when you shut the door, and I'll just sit in there and
0: do 20 minutes then. And what is, what is your practice? What does it look like? What are you actually doing in your mind? When you oh,
1: start? the one thing I do that's the one thing that I didn't take from your book is that you don't have to sit. Twisted up on the floor you actually do sit. i sit lotus on the floor that's great yeah but it's I, I don't need to i think i'd sit straighter if i didn't
0: um i know i don't tell people not to do it i'm just saying if you can't do it as because i can't it's okay but uh-huh. you know if if uh some sort of great asian master were in the room they would in fact some great asian masters are really dogmatic about hey you really do need to sit in this way so if you can do it that's great
1: yeah I have weird legs, and they kind of twist and bend, and so <laughs> I can do it nice i'm it's in a, it's not a perfectly quiet environment like a hotel. you hear people coming and going i've I've really tried to embrace that where I'm like that is our sound guy walking up the stairs. that is a pipe like that is the sound of a pipe again. just relax <laughs> you know like i I've had really controlled environments a lot like you know uh our house is kind of quiet, and and this is good because it's, I don't know, orients me to the environment.
0: A lot. So you're feeling your breath coming in and going out, and then when you hear a noise, you notice that and just go back to your breath. Is that yeah?
1: The... I really just try to go. That's Linda walking down the hall. Breathe in. That is that pipe again.
0: Breathe out. Does your wife meditate?
1: Yes. Uh, I don't know if she is currently. That's a good question.
0: So it's not not a topic of discussion between the two of you?
1: Oh, that's maybe one thing I need to work on is saying I'm going to go meditate.
0: So what do you say? Does she think you're just spending a lot of time in the bathroom?
1: No. I say I'm going to go lay down.
0: Interesting. Does your co-star slash co-writer slash longtime friend Nick Kroll meditate?
1: I believe somewhat. Really? Um, Yes. uh, Because... well, do you consider it meditating if you take yoga and they do that thing at the end?
0: Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, I think a lot of people use that as, like, nap time or, like, planning what they're going to do next. Everyone
1: so. uses it to plan what they're going to Yeah, eat. so that <laughs> yeah.
0: So I – generally – It's that, one of the great um, meal apps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is uh, that? Whatever. I whatever. Shavasana. Shavasana <laughs> as meal planner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think then it's probably – if you're affirmatively, like, planning your meal, then you're definitely not meditating.
1: That is totally true. Nick – Everyone's open to meditation. There's no reason to lie. But I do say I'm going to go shut my
0: eyes or lie down. Sometimes
1: I say I'm going to meditate, but I definitely don't say it out loud that much.
0: So is that because in some part of you suspects that either your wife or your good friend slash partner will be like, he's a weirdo?
1: Yes, it must be.
0: Yeah, No, I still have that too. Yeah. I still have it too. Um,
1: Like the word is like, it's just one of those words that, I grew up with as being like what like a funny hippie on a TV show does.
0: Yeah, no, I get I get it. Um, I, even around the office, before I anchored Nightline during the weekdays, um, I'll meditate in my office. Or we actually have a meditation room around the corner from my office, which I, interestingly enough, I had nothing to do with setting up. Oh wow. uh, It just kind of happened organically within the within the company. And I don't tell people that that's what I'm doing. Um, I don't know why. I think it's yeah. for the same kind of weird reason that you're. Uh, I go to gonna... acupuncture every week,
1: and I tell people I'm going to the doctor. And to so, to the extent that some that's people,
0: that's even weirder though to go to the doctor every week. Not in New York, <laughs> yeah, apparently not. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs>
1: that seemed to me. I was like, oh, I hope well, they'll probably be intrigued as to why I'm constantly going to physicians.
0: So, y- so the you think acupuncture is in the same category as meditation in that way? In that I lie about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that, uh,
1: yeah, I guess I, I didn't expect to get to this, but yeah, uh, now that we're talking about it, I,
0: I disguise those uh, sides of me. D- d- so does Anna not know that you're going? Well, she, know, she knows yeah. I'm going to acupuncture. But she goes people. every week, too. Okay. We go to the same guy. Okay, so it's other people you're, li- you're lying to, not your wife.
1: I'm lying to other people, yes. I also, like, it's. I get so, mon- so many benefits from acupuncture that I, I kind of can't miss it. However, it's really hard to be like, I absolutely cannot do that meeting because I have acupuncture. You're a TV star.
0: You can say whatever the hell you want. The well, of- I'm on Broadway right now. Okay, you're a Broadway star. Thank you. <laughs> so you can say whatever you on the spectrum of crazy things that performers yeah, say. from like Chicago and, you know. We're like Irish Catholic people. Fair enough. Yeah, no, no I like that about you. You like you don't feel fully comfortable being a complete monster. I like uh, that about you. I think well, good about you. <laughs>
1: I don't feel comfortable being a complete monster or a, or a whole person who goes to <laughs> acupuncture <laughs> and meditates because that makes him feel good and that but, helps his I,
0: system. Yes. Okay. That actually, you've you've seen it more holistically than I was seeing it. Um, So tell me about uh, Oh, Hello. Uh, Oh, Hello is
1: um, myself and Nick Kroll doing two characters. Uh, Nick plays a character named Gil. I play a character named George. We've been doing these guys for about 10 years. In 2006, we started doing them as sketch comedy characters. We hosted a show down in the East Village. They're two guys from the Upper West Side of Manhattan, like deep 70s in Columbus, not far from where we are now. Gil is an also-ran actor. George is an also-ran novelist. They wish they were Richard Dreyfuss and Philip Roth. They're 100% not. They're obsessed with the kind of man Alan Alda is, a turtleneck in a sport coat, a learned writer-actor. He's the peak for them and also someone that, in, in the narrative of their show, they stalk. And they're just tote bag guys. These are guys with strand tote bags.
0: D- or are these people that you've observed in nature like where did this yes, come from Yes we saw
1: them at we saw well we saw these two guys that were the jumping off point at the Strand bookstore which is in downtown the, though Downtown yeah not the not the not the pop-ups in Times Square downtown
0: yeah, I guess what I'm saying is th- so how did you place them in the deep 70s on uh Oh
1: that was more kind of like the Woody Allenness of it you know He's an Upper East Side guy Wait is he? Yeah Well
0: I like that you put them deep. 70s Maybe
1: part of it. I mean, uh, no, and I, mean, I was about to say part of it's that I, I'm an outsider in New York, so I. But no, I, Upper West Side sounded right.
0: It is. It feels absolutely. It's right. It's a hundred percent. I used right. to. I mean, we're, we are in uh, Lincoln uh, Square right now, but so not far from this part of the world that you're talking about. But I used to live up there, and like you've nailed a certain type.
1: Oh, great! There are many in the West Village. There are many in Albuquerque, Berkeley, Chicago,
0: everywhere. Boston. Do people who fit this stereotype, older men who are like uh, your characters... Irrelevant? They don't know they're irrelevant. <laughs> Did, no, no, no. Do they do they see themselves in what you guys are doing?
1: No. No one thinks they're a Because I loser. didn't see
0: anybody... <laughs> no one thinks they're a loser. I didn't see anybody who even fit that demo in the audience the night I was there. It was all... Well, let
1: me be careful how I phrase this. <laughs> we, do, we have people around the same age as George and Gil. They enjoy the show a lot. I mean, the show is about these guys looking back on their life in New York in the, in the 1970s and the 1980s, and Ed Koch and Steely Dan and rent-controlled apartments. And it's about a lot of, it's a very silly show. We also are basically just Muppets, but it's a very silly show grounded in, in, a, in a realness that we really appreciated as like fetishizers of 1970s New York. How and I think you... other people who experienced it also appreciate There's a lot of, uh, th- this show is written by two men in their 30s, but we wrote it in an altered state where we were two men in our 70s.
0: I'm just curious for you as like an Irish guy from Chicago. Chicago, yeah. Like why would you be interested in this? <laughs> I don't know.
1: I don't know, but I like it so much. <laughs> and
0: it was I... all because you were at an event at the Strand Bookstore? And... No,
1: so we, we saw these, t- well, we saw these two guys at the Strand Bookstore. At the time, Nick and I were trying to figure out a way to host this stand-up show in the East Village. We saw these two guys, and they were each buying a copy of Alan Alda's autobiography, Never Have Your Dog Stuffed, and they were each buying hardcover copies, okay? And they looked like Bert and Ernie, like in the sense of the relationship. Like they looked like two platonic friends who might share an apartment together, but they were also selfish enough to each buy a copy of the book. Like they looked joined at the hip, but also, you know... Uh, as Nick says, they wouldn't share a copy of the book, but they would probably share a Murphy bed. So we followed them, and and
0: they had you that you actually followed them?
1: Yeah, yeah. We had nothing to do. <laughs> we were like uh, twenty three and twenty six, and we had nothing to do. we were just wandering around, and they had that kind of cadence of like Jim Stewart, you know, like <laughs> that type of that that very assured wrong pronunciation. There's a lot of that in the play. Um, it's confident, confidently pronouncing words wrong is a big part of Oh, hello. And it was at that time where, like, the New York Times had just discovered John Stewart and how, like, we get. You remember when for like two years you could sound smart by saying kids get their politics from the Daily Show. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was peak peak time for that. It was just a lot. Of, there was a there was a great. These men were authorities on everything. And did you, you learned this Still because
0: you followed them along enough to actually hear them talk. No,
1: they were just a got it. <clears throat> and, and it set off like a, a bunch of associations for both of us. Nick having grown up in Westchester, New York. Myself having sort of fetishized New York from afar and watched a lot of film in the 70s set in New York. And that kind of like weird Sanka, uh, <laughs> tan, tan khakis, brown turtleneck. Brown Jack just kind of an awful look where a guy had hair like oatmeal and he like wore high-waisted corduroys and he was an architect and this was like a bachelor that all women in the film were in love with. That type of thing was just very interesting and very very familiar to both of us and we wanted to play those types of guys.
0: And so you then started hosting this event in the East We Village. would host
1: this stand-up show at a place called Brififi and we would Come up and say like we want. We really wanted to get into the hot downtown scene, and we we're going to bring to up some of you young comedians, <laughs> and we would interview them. And we were just—it was kind of what it, I mean. It was very quickly what it is. It was these two liberal, intolerant men <laughs> who, uh, you know, talk down to people, but are uh, but are just
0: clearly uh, life's losers, life's glorious losers. And did you think, did you have any inkling that this was going to be such a long-running shtick?
1: I didn't see what would ever stop it because we liked doing it so much. I remember I had a list of things I wanted to do in maybe 2008 when I was a writer at Saturday Night Live, and one of them, I still have the list. It, it, I mean, it's like I wanted to do a stand-up special, and I did that, and then the next thing I wanted to, we wanted to do was a, a an Oh Hello Party album. It was like a party record, is what you called like a comedy record in the 60s, like sort of like for adults to put on at a cocktail party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the 2,000-Year-Old Man isn't exactly a party album, but it was kind of that vibe. I was like, oh, we should record an album like that where like these guys think they're doing sophisticated urbane humor, but it sucks. Um, and we never did that, but we ended up doing the characters on Kroll Show. When Nick got the show on Comedy Central, we very quickly started doing these short, more like filmic pieces with the characters. Then, in the second season, we started having them host a prank show called Too Much Tuna, which was a bit we had talked about downtown a lot, um, that we had a show called Too Much Tuna where you're interviewing someone and then there's tuna served, and everyone everything grinds to a halt because it's Too Much Tuna. So that was kind of in the air. <laughs> we all remember that time when that was in the air. <laughs> the Too Much Tuna really... Connected with people. They were always characters that comedy people liked, but we maybe couldn't get a lot of traction with. We were turned down by the Aspen Comedy Festival. Um, They said the show was too old. They're like, where's this a young festival and you're playing old guys? And we were like, oh, okay. Did I ever think it would run this long? We always thought like, oh, this is kind of maybe too specific. But somehow Too Much Tuna (laughs) broke it wider. (laughs) And we started getting tweets and Instagrams from, like, you know, 14-year-old girls in Dallas who would be, like, too much tuna. And somehow it just... Really? Yeah, they were just, like, oh, okay. These guys are, like, tuna fish. <laughs> they like tuna salad. I get it. It was somehow... It was, like, sometimes you just need, like, a hook. And ours was had a tuna on it. It was really just, like, oh, I get it. These guys... These guys are losers who have a prank show called Too Much Tuna. For some reason, it crystallized it.
0: And this was after the Kroll show stuff.
1: Yeah, the Kroll show, both as a platform, obviously, and Nick letting us do it on the show, it was like it broke it to a wider audience, but also it somehow broadened it in a... Like, when you can go broad in a weird way, it's the best thing for comedy. When, like, what's weirder about your thing yeah. makes it go wider yeah. Is, yeah, yeah, is a great thing.
0: So how did you get, get to the point where you were writing a, a, a play? Because so, there were any number of things you could have done with it after the Kroll show stopped, including uh, nothing.
1: Including nothing. And, and by the way, we were getting tweets, but it's not the public wasn't banging down our door. But we did appreciate that it had kind of a wider appeal than we thought. We really did appreciate that. So then my show's canceled, Nick decides to stop doing *Crawl Show after three seasons. Why? In order uh, he, he really completed what he wanted to do with it. He really saw... I mean, it was very, very admirable thing to watch. Yeah, it and is. A very cool thing to watch where he was like, I've done what I want to do with this, and I'm going to walk away rather than just keep making for the sake of making. Very... I mean, you know, I don't know if he meditates, but he's very centered. So then we did an event to promote the third season at the 92nd Street Y in character. Interviewed by Apologies, Willie Geist.
0: This is no, no, what no, happened, Dan. No, no apologies necessary. I think Willie Geist is amazing. It's okay. It's a rival. Uh, <laughs> so He's no Alan Alda. What? He's no Alan Alda. Well, no one is.
1: Anyway, we were uh, we were interviewed and we did an audience Q and A, and it was like the first time we had done them live yeah. in like seven years. We'd done them on film for Comedy Central, and it was so. It was like. It was an hour and a half. We prepared so little. And by the way, we thought we'd prepared. But we'd prepared like three jokes. We just kept talking at the hotel about other stuff and like what we should order before the show to eat. And we just never wrote anything down. And then we got on stage and we really did like 90 minutes. And it was so fun. And after that, someone asked us what we were going to do next. And we said, oh, hello, on Broadway, which was a joke that we immediately knew we would do. Wow. Or that we would try to do. And so
0: you started not on Broadway.
1: No, we started off Broadway. Yeah. It would be very hard to start on
0: Broadway. Yeah, I, and it's well,
1: insane that we're even on
0: Broadway. It is kind of insane, but <clears> like in a really good way. In a great way, but it is totally bizarre. Did you think when you cuz you started where did where was the theater? You started were at the, the Cherry Lane the, Theater. Yeah, okay, Mineta. Yeah. yeah. Did you th- you guys did a limited run there? Did you think okay, or okay, this is the end we'll do this and then I'll, we'll go off and do other things or
1: No, I can't pretend that we hadn't already talked about Broadway. We'd both been big theater fans, and we both saw a lot of theater in New York. I don't know if we thought, oh, well, I, I don't know. We didn't know that much about the space. And I don't know if we thought, like, within the next two years, we'll be in that space. So we were a little ignorant of the steps. And I think that sort of initially helped our confidence, because we were like, oh, the way to do Broadway is to do off-Broadway first. So we did this run at the Cherry Lane. And... We'd both been on television and we'd done the show. We'd done Kroll show and we'd done these characters. We, we sold out our run in like eight hours, which was great. Great, great way to do it. And we just had to do the sh- We just then did the show and we got some nice reviews. And, and then from there, we, we were still thinking about going bigger in New York. It would still just been the most fun thing we ever did. It was still just like, there's nothing more fun than this. We both have other things going on, but let's make sure we, let's tour it this year. And that was the first step. We took it to Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Montreal, San Diego, bigger and bigger theaters, which was good for scale, because we went from doing it to a 179-seat theater off-Broadway to, like, 1,000-seat theaters. Wow! And that was just like, let's, what's it like for these guys to project more and scale up Mm -hmm. and have the set and have the show be a bigger experience? And then, look, the unbelievable break of it all was we got interest to come to Broadway and we're able to do it. And we're able to do it a year after doing Off-Broadway. Both the calendar, the very fact that it exists, um, all of it is astonishing. The more I've learned about the theater world, we're very, very flattered and, and lucky to be in, in, that, in that space. I, I have to admit, though, I think some of our ignorance... Helped our initial, you know, dive in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think ignorance actually, in some rare cases, can be bliss, uh, or at least foolish motivation. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the so you the original idea was that you guys were going to stop the show when? In I guess early we weren't December? sure.
1: I'm trying to think back now, and I don't know if I remember exactly because we were sort of like, okay, we just did off Broadway, that was awesome. Well, I think we thought about a week at the Beacon. Uh, I think we thought about we we knew there was a lot of demand to see the show in New York, so we were like, "How do we capitalize off that? What's a fun way to do that? A theater in Union Square that's 300 seats as opposed to 200, and we do like a longer run." We just didn't know what pieces would fall in which order, so we decided to go on tour. And I think it was going on tour and the nice reviews we got off Broadway that helped people and our producers maybe see it. In that light. Though though they had been interested since off-Broadway.
0: And now, though, though the show keeps getting extended. You're running through January 22nd, right?
1: Yeah. I don't know when this airs, but,
0: yeah, we're running through January 22nd. I think soon. Um, And (laughs) and, uh, and what beyond that? Do you have have any sense what you're going to do beyond that uh, at all? Oh, I'll
1: be going on tour doing stand-up after that. And we do have more we'd like to do with the characters. Movie? Oh, well, we'd like to film this show in some regard. The show we're doing. And then, yeah, we're, up, we're open to anything. I'm not, I'm not being cagey. We don't know. But, yeah, <laughs> sure. We'll do a movie.
0: <laughs> if people want to learn more about you, where, where can they go? Is there a website?
1: I have a website. It's nice. I don't think there's much on it. You can go to Wikipedia. <laughs> I have two specials on Netflix. I like those. I, I, it, it's just me the whole time. And then, uh, you know, I have Twitter and those things. <laughs> and So I'm off it now. Where do we – you're off Twitter? I I deleted it from my phone.
0: Why? Just in the past forty eight hours. What happened? Just overload. Overload. Is this post election stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and did you, uh, do you? If people want to learn about oh hello, is there a website for that or just go oh hello
1: broadway dot com? Okay.
0: We've had a lot of guests, but you are among the tippity top most delightful guests. I can't believe that. It's absolutely true. I've
1: listened to the show. You've had great guests.
0: You, you, the guests have been amazing, but you've been amazing. It's really, I, I mean that sincerely. Well, really thanks fun. for
1: writing the book. You know, it was really helpful to my whole life. And I don't think I could have approached it without someone who is a straight laced guy. <laughs> so thanks for being uptight and also <laughs> meditating. It helped me, even though I lie about it. <laughs>
0: Okay, there's another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast. If you liked it, please make sure to uh, subscribe, rate us. And uh, if you want to suggest topics we should cover or guests uh, we should bring in, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan B. Harris. I also want to thank heartily the people who produce this podcast and really do pretty much all the work. Lauren Efron, Josh Cohan, Sarah Amos, Andrew Kalb, Steve Jones, and the head of ABC News Digital, Dan Silver. Uh, I'll talk to you next Wednesday.
2: Join me, DJ Fuel! And my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new Kids and Family Podcast.